Welcome to the Pilot Boys Podcast, where you'll get the real on all things sports, music, and pop culture. And here are your hosts, Vishwant and Partha. And we're back with the college football sprint. We just had the national championship game. Uh, and as always, Zach took a uh, a, a, a less than expected pick and was right. He's got a <laughs> habit of doing this. It's almost like, almost he like can... he's, he's got some experience in football. <laughs> it's just luck. It really is just luck. He's like, he, he called Jameson Williams and was like, I got a million dollars for you if you just right. don't play for the last oh, three I'm quarters. Gonna to, I'm going to need you to take a dive in about the second quarter. <laughs> it's, a new, it's a new type of NIL deal. Right. <laughs> that's, hey, that's a Ted Ginn plan. I learned it from the Buckeyes. Oh, yeah. And, you know, in a, in a first, uh, Alabama was beat by an accountant, the quarterback. Yeah. Um, Huh? <laughs> well, this 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 was an amazing game, though. All jokes aside, um, really, really good game. First half, we thought that we were headed down to uh, LSU Alabama repeat, but then in the second half, everything just seemed to open up. Um, specifically with Georgia, there they opened up their offense, started making some plays, and as you alluded to, Partha, uh, what's his name? Stetson Bennett. Bennett. Stetson Bennett. I was about to call him Spencer Bennett. Hey, that works too, actually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Stetson Bennett um, showed up and showed out uh, when it mattered most. I just thought it was a, a, a very good game. Um, obviously, the injury to Jamison Williams hurt Alabama's offense quite a bit as well. But, you know, you can't cry over spilled milk. It happened. Zach, what's your analysis of the game and why it was different this time around for Georgia? Well, you know, the, the thing that uh, that happened to Georgia the first time around is, is there, Jameson Williams went off, <laughs> number one. And and so the, I, even if he doesn't get hurt, I still think Georgia wins this game. It's probably a, uh, less of a guarantee. But they had a blueprint from Cincinnati of how to kind of take him out of the game without John Mechie, who also played. So Bama now, you watch that. I mean, that, what was it? It was five field goal first half, nine yeah. to six. And it was an eight-point game at the end of the game. Bama's, you know, trying to go drive down to tie it up, and they throw a pick six, so the score looks different than the game, right? Yeah. Uh, but the reality was, in the SEC championship game, Jamison went off, and Stetson Bennett, Georgia's quarterback, threw two interceptions. And, and that was the key to the game, right? He had to learn from that, come back, and he couldn't throw the ball to Bama, and he didn't. He didn't. Not only that, there's there needs to be a ton of credit given to Todd Monkin, the offensive coordinator at Georgia, because he came out and he had a clear plan. He wasn't going to ask Stetson Bennett to do anything down like he the kid threw two deep balls and hit both of them on on phenomenal play calls. Yeah. He only you know he only attempted six passes longer than ten yards the whole game. Wow, six. crazy. And on top of that, Alabama had the best defensive player in college football in Will Anderson Jr. And so Todd Monkin came out and said, "All right, listen, this kid can't." rattle my quarterback he can't get home and sack him a hundred times so they made a plan they chipped him they they slid the protection to him and the kid ended up with two qb pressures and zero sacks and um that obviously opened up opportunities for other players on alabama's defense but they did a good job keeping him protected and just asking him to do what they needed him to do to win the game and he still he still tried to give it away i mean he fumbled once and then the second time he fumbled it was like basketball he, he dribbled it to himself <laughs> just yeah but, he, you know, I think that's that was the reality of it, right? And then, and then you go to the. He did exactly what he needed to do to win the game. 
and Alabama just didn't have the firepower on offense. And you look at what happened at Alabama, right? From 2020 to 2021, what was the difference? And the biggest difference between the 2019-2020 Alabama teams and this team was the, rec- the skill at receiver, right? Yeah. They they had and back and back. And yeah, the run. It, the run the run game was kind of non-existent. I mean, it, yeah. it, Brian Robinson Jr. certainly not, you know, he, he's not Derrick Henry, but but their offensive skill has, has went down. And you could have predicted this if you look yeah. at recruiting rankings for three years from 2019, 2018, 2020. I mean, they were recruiting the 45th best receiver in the country as opposed to the number one receiver in the country, number five receiver in the country. I mean, five stars. So there was going to be a little downturn in, in production at the receiver position. Now, the, the class they just brought in that are true freshmen is a star-studded class. So in a year or two, really next year, those kids will be older, they'll have a little experience, and Bama will be back when it comes to offensive skill. But this was destined to happen. It's why they had to go get Jamison Williams. So you take yeah. him out of the mix. They don't have this, the, the firepower on offense to win that game. Yeah, and digging deeper here, though, honestly, Zach, despite that, right, I felt like watching the game and watching how Nick Saban adjusts to what he doesn't have, Bama still controlled this game for the most part throughout. It was just that they couldn't get a touchdown. They didn't have the skill. They got the ball down the field. They dominated the number of offensive plays. And if you looked at the adjustment that they made on the fly when they lost Jamison Williams, they ran the ball, short passing screens. It was like, although they did not come out on top and everybody, probably 99% of this country was rooting for Alabama to lose, I thought despite it being a loss, it showcased why Alabama is the program that it is despite that, right? Because Georgia had their best players on the field and it came down to a couple plays in the fourth quarter that really was the difference between um, the who won this game. And that's, to me, it's a loss, but it's it just showcases again that you can't count this guy out even when everything is against them. Yeah. They still put up a fight. And I got to say, see that with a lot of teams. And even before that pick six, you could see kind of Bryce Young, you could see his morale just kind of break when he threw that dime to the receiver's outside shoulder and he just chose not to catch it. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was one of those situations. I was just like, what, what is going on? Like, they're just not having anything fall their way. So at that point, you could almost tell a pick was coming. That's like one of those situations. The, the snap was quick. He was already, you know, starting to get a little bit desperate. That's when the bad decisions happen. And, you know, that was that was the game for me watching it. Um, I do have, you know, a couple uh, a couple of jokes I wrote down that, you know, were t- were being texted during the game that, you know, I just wanted to share um, first. Uh, you know, Stetson looks like he won a Dr. Pepper contest to play in the championship. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good one. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, it was, uh, it was interesting, you know, hearing, hearing him talk afterward to the camera is like, this was a kid. I, I appreciate the storyline. The media was really focused on of him, you know, wanting to be quarterback. I'm sure. A lot of kids grow up at, you know, three or four and say that they want to be the quarterback of their local team, but you know, he did it and he won a national championship for it, which hasn't been done in 40 years. So, I mean, the kid did it, you know, I, I wonder if, if he will be able to maintain that starting role next year. 
Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a story, right? It's a storybook. They'll they'll probably make a, a movie, even if it's just yeah. a regional uh, movie in, in Georgia or in, in the SEC country. They will definitely That's make it. a movie out of it. I think the best meme I saw was posted by my intern on Menace to Sports. He put out the uh, the the skinny white kid from Road Trip with that huge black woman in bed. The one he said, I boinked her. <laughs> it says Stetson Bennett when he returns to Athens, Georgia tonight. <laughs> that was hilarious. That oh, was but hilarious. you know, you, you make you. It's funny. Uh, the kid obviously doesn't look like a. He doesn't have the stature of a Division One quarterback, but I, I think that the other reality here is Bryce Young was inflated all year, and, yeah. and I talked about it all year, and I still believe it. He is not the Heisman Trophy winner. I know he got the award because of how we how we vote, when we vote, and what the award has become. But he's always been. I've called him all year a, a sandbox quarterback. Like if you ever been at a house where you know has a little kid and they buy a little sandbox and put it out in the yard. Uh, and the kid goes out there and plays, you know, not too far away from your house. That, that's where that's where Bryce Young lived. He lived in short throws in the middle of the field under 10 yards. And that's where he had all of his production. I mean, he was two yeah. of nine on deep balls in this game and threw two interceptions. He was 32 percent over 10 yards. Like it wasn't what you're used to. We're talking Heisman Trophy, right? Joe Burrow, Cam Newton, Devontae Smith. Like when they play on a big stage, they dominate in yeah. all aspects of their game. You didn't see that from him. Because yeah. he's he's not there yet. He's a talented kid that that still needs to develop into a premier quarterback. Yeah, he's obviously ahead of the learning curve considering his experience, right? But I think you make a fair point. Losing your top two playmakers and having receivers drop multiple passes doesn't help his cause. But I agree. You saw him get frazzled, you know, um, and and that pick was a bad pick um, at the end bad. of the game. It was yeah. really really bad. But, you know, the other thing that I that I have to speak to, you know, and I know fans in Big Ten country and other conferences are probably going to be a little upset about this. But you saw the difference when you watch this game on these two teams, between these two teams, SEC, the top of the SEC, cream of the crop, just the attitude, the size, the speed, just the way that these guys play every single snap, both sides on defense. And this isn't just a talent thing. This is just really about attitude and and how much these guys care about the game that they're playing on every single snap. You don't see that level of energy. We saw the two best teams in the country play um, for the national championship without a doubt this year. There's no doubt. And, and you go back and look at the the teams that Ohio State has had that, that can compete with that upper echelon of, of college football. I just don't think they had that team, that defense this year, right? You look yep. at 2014, Darren Lees, Joshua Perry, Curtis Grant, Raquan McMillan, Joey Bosa, like big, big athletes that can fly and hit you and play with an attitude, yep. right? You don't see that in Columbus. You didn't see that in Columbus this past year, whether it was coaching, development, triggering, doesn't matter, right? Yep. What you, like you said, what you watched on Saturday was some big ass cats that could fly and hit you. Yeah, and, and there was a different mentality on that field than we watched than, than you normally watch in a college football game. Yeah, I mean, even the SEC championship didn't have that level of intensity, and it was yeah, it was so enjoyable to watch. It was a tight game all the way through. It was you know every inch mattered. I mean, that's what you want out of a national championship game every year. And, and getting back to what V said, I mean that that's an eight point game late in the fourth quarter. What with the two minutes left. Yep. An eight-point game, Bama has the ball. So it's already it's still a one-possession game. But on top yep. of that, Alabama was was scoring 75% touchdowns in the red zone. When they got in the red zone, 
they scored three out of four times. In this game, yeah. they scored one out of four times. So they left yeah. two touchdowns on the field and got field goals. That's eight points. They yeah. and the block eight points. And that's a tie and game. And the blocked field goal. And the blocked field goal. Without that, yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. And yeah. so I think, you know, you, you could put put credit wherever you want it, but Georgia did an outstanding job yeah. in red zone defense. And that, that's a huge part of football that gets overlooked, how important third down and red zone defenses are. And they went out in the red zone, and they they didn't let Bryce Young get in the end zone. And yeah. that was how they won. That's why they won right there. And on the on the edge, I was really impressed by the Georgia defense as well. Um, any sort of dump pass out to the outside, they were all over those uh, oh. basically immediately. And the middle was open just a few times in the game. It was a really impressive stand. Yeah. yeah for sure. It's really hard to beat the same team twice, and that showed because they knew what Alabama do. They had the blueprint, like you said, from Cincinnati. They should send uh, Luke Fickle something nice in the mail. Right. <laughs> send, him a, send him a receiver send him a receiver he might win it all <laughs> does this um does this make you know georgia an upper echelon team or are we still going to look at them as kind of somebody who who waffles a lot and you know had a good year this year well they just proved they can finish the job right yeah. i mean they about halfway through the year you knew they were setting the pace for college football and they Georgia has been a really good team in years past. They just couldn't finish the job. I mean, they they lost a national championship on on a, a busted coverage against Devontae Smith in Alabama a couple years ago. Otherwise, this would be their second. So I think they're in the they're in that upper echelon. There's no way to deny it. They've been to the playoffs. They've been competing at a really high level. They just finally figured out how to close it out. Mm. And now that they figured that out, you know, it's like anything else. They could fall from graces real quick, but they haven't done it like Clemson did with just a. a generational quarterback or you know uh, uh just a, a ridiculous defense i mean they they did have a ridiculous defense but they're doing it with average receivers uh a below average quarterback like the, and they won the national championship so imagine what they could do if they had a justin fields in their offense yeah, yeah. absolutely do you do you think that you know if you if you're building the georgia program is that I don't know even what what age Stetson Bennett is if he has another year or not. But like, how do you how do you think about the offseason recruiting and like even setting up your offense for next year after after the leadership? Because I think you know what I will say about that kid is he. You said it earlier in the podcast, Zach, a couple episodes ago. He's like he's one of those kids that plays it like backyard football. He brings that energy, brings that juice, and sometimes that's what you need to win a tight game. Yeah, I mean, you, you definitely do. And I think when you look at Georgia, like, where do they go from here? They need to recruit the offensive side of the ball better. I mean, we know Kirby Smart had dominant defenses at Alabama. He goes to Georgia. They've recruited extremely well on defense. They went through the portal and got defensive help. Their scheme, their attitude, their, everything he's done defensively is just excellent. Yeah, it's awesome. It's the offensive side of the ball. And that's where Todd Monk can get, you know, deserves some criticism. They, they haven't recruited big-time wideouts. I mean, Dominique Blaylock is one and will become one. But you, you need three, you need four, you need five like really high level skill players on offense. Their running backs are probably, I mean, that's the best group in the country. They got three of them that were just very impactful yeah. Kenny McIntosh, Zamir White, and James Cook. So they, they need to recruit receivers and they need a quarterback. If they can do that, Brock Bowers, that's the best tight end in college football that kid they have right now. So yeah. they, if they can go get a couple five star receivers, you know, big time, big time receivers and go find a generational quarterback. Georgia will be in that game every year. And it, it seems like that is Georgia's Achilles heel, right? It's not that they don't get the five-star quarterbacks. They get them, but they always pick the wrong one. <laughs> <laughs> right. Or, or the, you know, what's, what also is a part of it 
is when they get them, they don't develop them very well. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's the other side of this. Now, you know, we always have to tie things back to, back to Columbus and Ohio state disappointing year won the Rose Bowl, which was, which was excellent. But this, this game showcased, um, the work that we need to do. And I think we, we've been fairly critical of Ryan, uh, Ryan day, um, this year specifically, but the thing that is impressing me and the reason that he needs, um, to get the respect that he deserves is he recognizes where there are weaknesses and he's working to address them. That's all you can ask for from the CEO and the head coach. And I thought two really great moves, obviously on the defensive coordinator, go get the best defensive coordinator in the country to try to get this thing right. And the second thing is firing the offensive line coach and being able to get the offensive line coach and offensive coordinator at UCLA that's just got announced to almost take like a lower position at Ohio State to come in, coach the offensive line, and get a title as like lead offensive assistant. So I think that's also Ryan accepting that I'm going to get some help on the offensive side of the ball too, so that I can focus my attention elsewhere, bringing in someone that he trusts. I thought both of these hires were excellent. And if you're an Ohio State fan, you can do one of two things you can cry about what we didn't do this year and complain about what's going wrong or you can do what ryan did which is we've got some issues let me try to fix them that's it right identify a problem and fix it don't bury your head in the sand and i mean you he hit two home runs i mean i know i've known justin fry since we were ga's together at 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 florida i worked with him at temple um i've known him for whatever that is now 16 years he's the best offensive line coach i've ever been around and as, as much as it you know, you lose the coordinator title, maybe calling plays, but that's Chip Kelly. He's probably calling the plays anyways. And and yeah. when you look at, I mean, Justin and his trajectory of his future, I mean, this this is this was certainly a, a promotion. I mean, going from UCLA, who could be fired yeah. in a year, to one of the you know one of the premier universities and programs in the country. And I'm just telling you now, you're going to see in O line recruiting and and in that O line's development, you're going to see the best offensive line in college football. They will win that whatever I forget oh. what it's called, the Joe Moore Award or whatever the O line award is. Because he's that good. He just is. And UCLA finished in the top 10 in pretty much every category as far as rushing, as far as offensive offensive scoring. I think they led, they led the conference or the nation. So for him to go from there to this talent level and then also be working with alongside Ryan, I think Ohio State fans should be very happy about the moves that, that have been made thus far. Yeah, it's, it's so satisfying to be a fan of a program that does get better every year, you know, and they, they tend to make the right decisions. They don't they don't do the uh, what you're talking about, the pick the wrong athlete, pick the wrong quarterback, pick the wrong coach. Usually, you know, there's a clear sense of identity with Ohio State. And I appreciate well, that. And, and to play devil's advocate now. It's always the right decision on January 11th. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, always, we brought Kerry Combs home, and it was like the best hire ever. They brought him home, just as a great coach. <laughs> and now everyone's like, "Oh, that was so dumb." You know, <laughs> hindsight is always 2020. But I do think this; these were the right two hires um, uh, for what whatever that's worth. Yeah, yeah. I guess we'll have to. Yeah. We still, we still need to to do, to develop players, and quite frankly, the silver bullets need to be the silver bullets again. Our linebacking core has been, I don't know what's been happening the last few years. I don't know if it's coaching, if it's talent, what it is, but we have not seen a great Ohio State linebacking core in quite some time. Yeah, it's been a minute. <laughs> it has been a minute. The last uh, the last 
era that you know I that really pops to mind is the the mid two thousands. Obviously, we've had a few standout standout players since then, but remembering you know AJ Hawk, remembering uh, is that Anthony Schlegel, uh, Bobby Carpenter, Carpenter. Yeah, that was a great that was a great set of three. There's no doubt. I mean, you look at it's even the national championship game. Yeah. Right? I mean, Joshua Perry, Raekwon McMillan, Curtis Grant, and, and Darren Lee. I mean, those are all NFL football players. Yeah. Um, and yeah. Curtis being the fourth of the four when it comes to NFL careers. But at the same time, that kid was – he was the heartbeat and soul of the entire football team, not just the defense. So that's, that's what they need to get back to. Your linebackers have to drive the defense. They have to. They're, they're, they're the focal yeah. point. They're in the run game, pass game. They're involved in any, everything. And, and so the reason that – yeah, the reason that I don't see I see it we have to address it as a development thing. You look at Baron Browning, how much he struggled. He goes to the NFL and he's a starter every game for the Broncos this year and plays very well at the NFL level. So we got to say, okay, how do we get more out of this talent when they're here? Yeah, that's it, man. Well. <laughs> I think I think that might be all we have to say leading into leading into this this next season. You know, it was I'd say as a as someone who went to Georgia Tech, you know, it's all always disappointing to see Georgia win. But uh, <laughs> hey, man, I have a lot of friends who are UGA fans as well, and you know, now you know we'll see, we'll see. They've been they've been suffering for forty some years, and one thing I will say about Georgia football fans that I know, friends who've gone there, they are real football fans. You know, they've been disappointed quite a bit. It's got to be frustrating to be the butt end of jokes. And quite frankly, I viewed them the same as like Harbaugh and Michigan. And for them to to come through this year and Kirby Smart to beat, also beat Nick Saban, um, they should be very, very happy down in Athens, Georgia with the team I mean, that they put out this year. As a college football fan, you have to you have to be happy about 2021 if you look at the big picture, right? Because Georgia beating Alabama, winning a national championship provides a little parody amongst yeah. the East and West and the SEC. Michigan beating Ohio State and making the playoffs provides a little parody. You don't, you don't ever, I, I know every team's fans wants their team to just dominate every year, but for the yeah. bigger picture, like you'd like some other teams to compete a little. So it's not just Nick Saban year in, year out. Yeah. And Ohio State beats Michigan every freaking year. I know Buckeye fans want that, but for the big picture, like, they got to win once in a while or else it's not even fun anymore. Yeah. yeah. And I wonder, you well, stop improving too, right? If yeah. you get complacent, if you don't have some, a dragon to slay. Well, well, and the Ohio state Michigan game is, I mean, that is a monument in, of, of, in all of sport. And if Michigan loses 35 years in a row, no one cares anymore. That's yeah. not a rivalry yeah. at all. Yeah. So We'd rather you, tune into army Navy every, every, right. every day. Yeah. Do you think the Michigan will beat this year? will have Harbaugh or do you think he'll, disappear to the NFL. I think he's leveraging the NFL to make make changes in the academic side of, of, of Michigan because they have a big problem right now in the portal age. They're, they're, they're such an elitist, you know, snobby university that if a kid transfers to Michigan, they'll lose damn near half their credits because Michigan views, you know, an accounting class at Ole Miss. Well, it's, it's not real accounting. That's like baby accounting. You have to yeah. take accounting at Michigan. And so they don't count it. And Shea Patterson lost 30 credits when he transferred to Michigan. You can't do that to a kid or he's not going to come. And yeah. so I think Harbaugh is trying to leverage this NFL stuff to get more lenient transfer stuff and academic requirements so that he can get kids in. Because accounting at Ole Miss is fine. You learned accounting. <laughs> yeah. It, it is funny how, how universities are like that. 
It's oh, like it's, just, it's, with it's hilarious. It happened to me at Florida. I transferred to Florida, and Florida's a great school, and, and transferred from Kentucky, which is not a bad school. And they were like, "Oh, well, you, we know you took these seven business classes, but you know, it wasn't our business school." I'm like, "What yeah. does that matter? Like, <laughs> I, I could go take your accounting test and probably pass. Like, what's the problem?" <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. That that typically is a way. As with all things, it's a financial play by these no universities doubt. because they want these kids to spend more money in tuition, yep. obviously, when they transfer. So, but you know, you should make some exceptions when a football player is coming in and making you millions of dollars. Exactly. You're going to make the <laughs> money. Let them in. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> then, uh, on top of that, I've been hearing um, some rumors. You know, I'm pretty tied in with the OU rumor mill now. Um, sounds like Caleb Williams might actually go to USC. He just did a visit. Yeah, that's that. That's the rumor. I mean, that's that, this is the day and age. And so you, did you see hear what Stetson Bennett said after the game? He said, no. he said, I, I'm I'm planning on returning to to college football. I just have to figure out where. Like, that's what? crazy. That, did he, he really won a national championship playing for Georgia? That's yeah. crazy. I mean, that's, but that's the honest truth. If they tell him he's not going to start, he's got to go somewhere where he can, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's that's the reality of the of the the landscape nowadays. Or Where's going to pay him the most money? He just won a, he just won a national championship. Well, like, if he was smart, I think he had knowing, <laughs> quite frankly, I don't know about his NFL trajectory. Maybe he'll, <laughs> you don't, oh, you, don't think, you don't think he'll make it. Maybe? maybe he should stay at Georgia and just be the hero and open up Stetson's restaurant. Cause he's going to be a forever hero down in Athens, Georgia. Hundred percent. So I don't, I don't know if transferring is in his specific best interests. <laughs> he shouldn't. Like you said, he he needs to he needs to be meeting with brand managers and and business managers, and he needs to sign every NIL deal. You know, take all that money, like you said, open a restaurant with it. And he's got to start building a bit his his LLC up. He needs yeah. to stop worrying about where he's going to transfer to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean that that's the absolute truth of it. We're gonna see some collateral damage in the next few years of athletes that you know took too big of a bet, and you know. That's that's the unfortunate truth of NIL is you're shifting responsibility. Oh, yeah. 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 You're shifting it. And then also there is something to be said about the fact that these kids are still amateurs. I understand everything around them is professional, but being ta tasking these kids to make these kind of big boy decisions at 18, 19, 17, sometimes years old is uh, is something that we need to we need to talk about as well. Absolutely. For sure. Well, on that note, it's been such a fantastic college football season. You know, it's it was amazing to go through the ups and downs of Ohio State's journey with you guys uh, to be able to catch the finale in person at the Rose Bowl, you know, to see all the chaos with the other teams. And though it was a tough year, I, I feel very strongly that this year might, you know, I'm, I'll say it now. I think this this year we have a real shot at taking the national championship if we we get our defense on par. Yeah, there's no doubt. There's no doubt. I do need to shout out. I don't know how much you do do this on your show uh, regularly, but I got to shout you both out because I got my lasso socks in the mail. And I got to tell you, I'm this is an unpaid endorsement right now. <laughs> Badass socks. Like yeah. legit, legit. I don't know. Worth every penny. So if you don't have them, listeners, you need to get them because they're legit. Appreciate we have that. to just clip that right there and make that an ad. Yeah, <laughs> there we you will. go. Put it out we there. Will. I will. Hey, I work for socks. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's that's the thing about the the product. And I'll say this really quickly. That's that's Zach has known me well. I don't jump into things very 
very um, no. head first often, but uh, this product and 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 what it does to change people's lives is is amazing. Yeah, yeah. It, it, they're they're awesome. So I I fully endorse them. <laughs> Thank you, Zach. For sure. Yeah. Well, well, I'm sure we'll catch you soon. Thanks again for a great year of college football. There's always going to be some stuff happening with recruiting and spring games. So we'll have you, we'll have you back uh, a few more times, but thanks you for coming on every week uh, during the football season and, and, and helping our, our listeners learn more about college football. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. You just let me know. My phone's always on. Show the pilot boys some love by getting some of our exclusive merch at shop.pilotboys.com. You're listening to the pilot boys podcast. Hey, this is Partha. Not only am I a pilot boy, but I'm also the CEO of Lasso. I started Lasso to help people improve their movement on a daily basis. We design and create compression apparel that enables you to move confidently, recover safely, and ultimately be the best version of yourself. We use a patented compression technology that activates key ligaments and tendons to help you improve your proprioception, coordination, and balance on a daily basis. Lasso socks were recently ranked number one by Men's Health because of how much they improve how your body works and the overall comfort, softness, and feel of the product. We're very proud of the Lasso socks, so check them out on our website at lassogear.com or at lassogear. Undo Media is proud to be the production partner for the Pilot Boys. Storytelling is what they do. From video production, podcasting, and consulting, Undo Media's focus is on telling your story. Find out why four Emmys and hundreds of clients will back up why you should contact Undo Media for your next project. Look them up at undomedia.com. And we're back with the Head in the Clouds interview. Really excited about this one. A uh, good friend of mine, Gary Ann Conley. I've gotten to know, get to know him very well over the last few years. Um, and also has a very dynamic and interesting story uh, to tell um, to both football and off the field. Uh, excited to have you here, man. Conley Island, Gary on, what's up, man? Hey, G, I see it on the, <laughs> I see it on the screen. That's your, that, that's your oh, display name. Yeah, <laughs> I put it in, man. I appreciate y'all having me, man. Glad to finally stop being antisocial. I know you've been telling me a long time, and I need to be speaking and giving my input. So I figured it's time. Never too late, you know. Heck yeah. yeah. Yeah, man, you got a you got a great story, you know, specifically a great starting in a in a football story, dynamic story, starting in Maslin, Ohio, which for a lot of people don't know is actually the birthplace of football itself. Yeah. I got a chance to get to know the culture down there through you. Um, your foot, your practice facility is nicer than the Browns practice facility. <laughs> you guys play in like an NFL stadium. Yeah. Tell me a little, tell us a little bit about what it was like becoming a football star in a football craze, small town like that. Uh, I mean, coming from just that area, you just know, like Maslin, no matter if you go there or not, it's just a big football tradition rich school. It's kind of like a mini Ohio State, like the tradition just goes all the way back to Paul Brown, who started the Maslin and he went to the Bengals and Browns and his name is well known but just me growing up there in the area they put a football in your your crib when you're born and they have coaches come to the hospital and it's a documentary on it called Go Tigers but 
just knowing like how big that football town is and they back their players. Of course, they back uh, people in general, but just how they back their football players and me growing up there and playing at the like it feels like a elite level when you play at that school and knowing that that stadium has such a tradition rich like history. It's just like elite at every level when you play there. And I feel like masculine football, honestly, it just it made me love football a little bit more than I did because I didn't like football at first. I was a hooper. You know that I've told you I was yeah. a hooper like all my life. And then I ended up actually quitting football my freshman year. And uh, I just remember I quit only because we moved because I was actually at Kent South when we moved to Massa and I was just mad. <clears throat> and I was just like, I'm not about to play football. I'm going to just play basketball, run track. And then everybody was just telling me like, Yo, you need to play football. You need to play football. Like you're athletic. Like football here is is different. It's a different level. And I just was like, nah, I ain't playing. Like I don't I don't give a fuck about football. Like so I was just like, I'm gonna play basketball, run track. So then next year, I was just like, man, I'm gonna give it a try. And actually, um, Devin Smith, who went to Ohio State, he went to Madison too. He was always in my ear telling me like, man, you need to play football. You need to play football. And he ended up getting a scholarship to Ohio State first. And, like, when I seen that, I was just like, man, maybe I do need to play football. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so I'm like, maybe I'm going to try it out again. So I tried out again. And I ended up playing my sophomore year. But it's crazy because I was number 97. And I'm playing receiver in corner. And you don't wear number 97 if you're playing receiver <laughs> in corner. So I feel like the coach that was there at the time, he, he didn't really mess with me. So he was just like, won't care. So give him a number. I was playing, I was really actually dogging the wide receiver or the corners on the varsity when I was on the scout team. And everybody was like, man, you should be playing, you should be playing. But I ended up playing JV my sophomore year. So that didn't make me like love football at that point. I was just like, man, I'm out here playing JV. This shit is weak. Like, <laughs> man, I'm about to go back to basketball. So I played basketball that year, finished out the year, ran track again. And then the next year, they were like, my junior year, which is my junior year, they were like, we need a starting corner. And I played receiver, so I didn't even play yeah. corner yet. And it was like, we need a corner because our corners left. And Coach Spider, who is like one of my all-time favorite coaches, he was just like, I think you can play corner. I've seen you play receiver, blah, 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 whatever. So I'm like, shoot, if I can start, I might as well, you know what I'm saying, play corner. So I ended up playing corner. I ended up having a good year, and I ended up getting a scholarship from Northwestern. And when that happened, I was just like, man, I really could go to college for football. Like, this shit is crazy. So I'm like, let me start taking this serious. And then even that year, we didn't have, like, a great year. We went seven and three. Uh if we lost our last game, we would have went to the playoffs if we didn't. But we ended up, like, doing decent, and I had a good year. And being around my teammates, like, just on the field, in the locker room, it kind of, like, made me start to, like, realize, like, football is actually something that I like to do. And just not even on the field, just the camaraderie. It's just, like, it, I like it because I love, like, laughing and kicking it with people. And it's just always good vibes in the locker room. So end up having a good year. And then I got the scholarship and then I got a scholarship from Michigan because once you get scholarship from like a Big Ten school like that, other schools are like, hey, who's this? So I got a scholarship from Michigan. But the way I got that scholarship, I was in class, actually. 
and my teacher was like somebody wants to talk to you and i'm like what so i go outside in the hallway and i'm on the phone so i'm like there they gave me a phone and i'm like who gonna talk to me on the phone during school and it was my <laughs> high school coach and like all my coaches and they was up at michigan with um who's the coach brady hoke at the time and mm -hmm. uh greg madison and greg madison was my recruiter so he ended up getting the phone he was like mind you i don't know nothing about football because i ain't watch it or nothing he's like this greg madison and brady hope blah 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 i'm just like who the fuck is these <laughs> like i don't know these dudes i don't know who's this they're like we're at the university of michigan and i was just like i'm on the phone like oh shit like yeah michigan so then long story short i ended up getting an offer from them and what's crazy is me not knowing about like the football and colleges and all that like i end up committing to michigan verbally after going up there i went on a visit after like a couple months later went on a visit and i committed verbally so then i committed i'm committed the whole rest of the year so i'll get into my senior football season and more schools are coming i get offers from like mac schools and then i got an offer from uh i think wisconsin it was wisconsin or indiana one of the two and then uh, more schools are calling whatever whatever and then I ended up playing my senior year and I ended up playing receiver this year. So I didn't play receiver in my junior year. I play receiver my senior year and I like receiver more than corner. So I was just like balling at receiver and then balling at corner. But of course they didn't throw my way a lot because of the year before um, my junior season, because I had a good year. So I ended up balling, whatever. And then I ended up getting more like looks and I ended up getting actually I wanted to go to Oregon so bad because of their jerseys. <laughs> I'm like, they got the flyest jerseys they ever offered me. Like, I'm decommitting from Michigan. I'm going to Oregon. I don't care. <laughs> so crazy thing, Oregon coach, yeah, I think he called my coach or called me one of the two, and I just talked to him. And he flew all the way from Oregon all the way to watch me practice at, in Madison, Ohio. So I'm like, man, I'm about to get an offer to Oregon, blah, blah, blah. So he ended up watching the practice, and – they didn't have any scholarships left or they had one scholarship left, but it was right when Chip Kelly was about to leave or something, I guess and he had gave it to, or he was about to give it to a, like a safety from Florida or something they said. And it was like, since he's leaving, if the scholarship might open up, we'll let you know, but we'll offer you. He was like, I definitely want to have you there. Cause it was the corners coach for Oregon. He was like, I definitely would want to have you, but it's not my decision. So I'm like, okay. But then while they're waiting or whatever they're doing, Ohio state, comes to my school and Luke Fickle is at my school. Don't know who the hell he is. <laughs> Everybody is like on my team. They're like, Luke Fickle here, Luke Fickle here. And I'm like, I don't even know who this is. So I go in the office, I talk to him and I find out he's from Ohio State. I think that's when, uh, that was a year that uh, Trestle, uh, or no, the year before that was when he had came head coach. So yeah. that was Coach Myers first year after that. Yeah. So he had came. And then I talked to him and they were just saying that they were interested. They didn't give me a scholarship yet, but they were talking about they're interested, wanted to see more. And then uh, I ended up leaving the meeting and everybody was like, you just talked to Luke Fickle, Luke Fickle. I'm like, bro, I don't even know who Luke Fickle is. <laughs> like, I don't care about that. But then I ended up playing. We had a rival game that next week, which is a big rival for Maslin. And like I said, it's tradition rich. That rival is like one of the biggest in high school history like in america and um at versus canton mckinley we ended up playing that game 
and I'm still on the verge of like wanting to go to Oregon because they came and talked to me and told the jerseys and all that. So I ended up wearing some lime green socks in my rival game <laughs> just to represent Oregon. So I'm like, yeah, I might go to Oregon. Uh, and then I'm, while I'm still committed to Michigan at the time, though, so I'm thinking like I'm going to Oregon. And then I remember the coaches were telling me like, yeah, Michigan, you're still verbally committed to Michigan. And it was like, uh, they don't want you to go like see other schools and all that because you get like five uh, visits for colleges if you uh, are getting recruited or whatever. And I didn't even know that. They didn't even tell me that you get like five free visits where they pay for everything. You go up there and see school. So when I found that out, I, um, I was like, I want to go to other schools and see my like weigh my options and all that. So then when I found that out, uh, Greg Madison had came to my school because he always would come and like randomly visit me because I was committed. And he came and he heard that Ohio State had offered me. And he was like, <laughs> oh, Ohio State, you don't want to go there. They're a bunch of frauds and blah, blah, blah. Just talking wow. shit about Ohio State. So I'm like, all right, you obviously just talking because they're your rival. But then when he told me, he was like, if you go to like other schools, like we're going to pull your scholarship. So I'm like, you basically threatened me. And I'm stubborn as fuck. So when they told me, like, you threatening me, like, taking my scholarship, I'm like, nah. So I decommitted. Like, you were also getting you are you were also getting a lot of pressure to go to Michigan. Because, oh yeah, because the boosters at your school, and they they had a connection to Michigan. They they right. they really wanted you to go there. But yeah. the the story of this Ohio State rivalry, Michigan rivalry, yeah. is so hilarious. <laughs> Because especially the Michigan side, when you hear how they recruit and how many, how terrible they are at recruiting and how much they Man. down talk Ohio State, it's hilarious. But this story Man. is 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 funny because of all the players that are involved in your recruitment and where yeah. they're at today, right? Because right. Luke Fickle was the initial recruiter who came in, mm-hmm. but it seemed like at this point when Michigan was like, you can't, you can't. You, if if you visit another school, we're taking your scholarship. That's yeah. when Mike Rabel came in to the yeah, exactly. And, yeah, and tell us a little bit about that. So uh, when Vrabes came in the picture, that's right, like around when I decommitted. And Vrabes is like such a cool dude, and he just like he wasn't even really talking about football ever when he came to visit me. He was just checking on me to see how I was doing. So that kind of like made me want to like dig more into Ohio state. And then of course I'm stubborn. Like I said, I just wanted to think about going there just because Michigan was a rival, but then Vrabes came. uh, I think him and coach Meyer came to that McKinley game uh, when I played, but I don't know for sure. But I know after that, I went on a visit to Ohio state after decommitting um, for Michigan and Went up there, had a great visit. I actually was my host was actually Devin from uh, Maslin. We host he hosted me and I had a good time and just talking to the coaches and Coach Combs, definitely talking to him, got me ready to go there. And then uh, talking to Coach Meyer and Coach Mick. I knew Coach Mick was definitely gonna be on my ass, but it definitely paid off. But just the way that Coach Mick and Coach Meyer like talk about being a champion on and off the field, like, it's just, it's a different level. He showed me way more stuff than any other school I talked about or showed me off the field. And that's what really made me want to go there too. Like real life Wednesdays, just like 
jobs after football, getting an education, all that. So I ended up going up there, committing, uh, and then came back to Maslin. And then people were mad, like you said, because I didn't go to Michigan. Coaches. It was a huge story that year. Yeah, it was crazy. People were mad. Uh, fans were mad at Michigan because I committed to Ohio State. I got like letters in the mail. People talking about um, I'm gonna be selling weed and selling <laughs> drugs, and I ain't gonna be shit and fuck you, all this type of shit. So I ended up getting all that, and then uh, coaches, even at my high school, um, were mad. And like you said, there was a guy, Jeff David, who was a Michigan alumni, and they feel like they got me the offer. I guess some people say like they are the reason why I got the offer to Michigan, which is another reason why I decommitted. Like, if you got me the offer, then I don't want to go there to show, like, I don't need that. And yeah. That happened, shit like that. So that all escalated, and it kind of, like, just kept going until I went to Ohio State. But I that's definitely nuts. made the right decision. That's sure. so <laughs> nuts to hear that so many people are willing to write letters to a, a, a kid, man, right? 18, 17, 18 at the time. Like, come on, man. That's <laughs> nuts. If Twitter, if Twitter was as big as it is now, <laughs> it could have been a lot more. Oh, man. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. So let's 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 talk about that, right? Your years at Ohio State were unique. First of all, your Football story is unique because, as you said, you didn't really love football and you started late. Yeah. And to go from starting late to within two years being recruited by Ohio State, Michigan, and Oregon is a dynamic story in itself. And it mm -hmm. speaks to the level of athlete you are in your natural athletic ability. You know, I've seen many great athletes, and I think you're just natural ability. Um, stands out and I think that's why these people recruited you but then you got to Ohio State and I think you realized how much work you actually needed to do man and and that's the part of this that that's important for people to understand that even though you were a four four-star prospect and one of the top cornerback prospects in the country mm -hmm. once you got to a place like Ohio State you probably realized how much shit. work <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and what you needed to do, um, what you needed to do to get on the field, right? Mm -hmm. uh, take us, take us through that because we're hearing, we've heard a lot of bad about Urban Meyer recently with Jacksonville. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> we, 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 his name has been getting crashed, but I think people don't see the other side, which is if you are, if you do have a certain type of mindset he can be the greatest thing for you. And you've said that on record. It's not about whether I like him personally or not. Yeah. It's about what he did for me in my development. Exactly. Um, so me going to Ohio State, um, first off, like I thought I was the shit, you know what I'm saying? Not like cocky, like arrogant, but like, of course, like crazy confidence. Like I'm a four star. I ended up being like top corner in Ohio like going to the Under Armour All-American game. So however recruit goes into college and it's just like you're on your high horse. So I go there. Mind you, I'm like 165 coming from <laughs> high school, skinny as hell. I didn't even barely lift weights in high school. So I get there thinking I'm about to go there, start, whatever. And I get there. First of all, Roby, Bradley Roby, he was a returning corner, could have left that year, I think. And then he ended up coming back anyway, playing. So he's returning. He's starting. And then I think um, 
was it Durant? Durant? Yeah, Durant. Durant Grant was already had seniority, so he was going to start. So once I get there and I see that, I'm like, hold up, like, so how am I supposed to play? Like, <laughs> I'm like, well, I guess I got to beat him out, whatever. So we get in the training because I go right in the summer. We get in the training and I'm just like, what the fuck? Like, I can't do this shit. Like, all this lifting and I ain't even lifting high school. I'm like, we lifting at 5 a.m. We got to run after that. And then we got to go to class. I start summer school right after I just graduated. So I'm like, bro, what's going on? Like, this is <laughs> mind blowing. And then, like I said, I'm 165. So they tell me, like, you need to gain 20 pounds. Like, you need to be 185 by this date, blah, 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 training camp. So I'm like, how am I supposed to gain 20 pounds in a month? Like, I can't do that. Like, it's just <laughs> all this pressure just, like, coming, like, with all this hype. So I'm not really expecting it, but it, it caught me off guard. So. I end up getting like, I think I got to 180, but I didn't make 185. And then I was like coming in like on a high horse. So I really wasn't like, uh, I worked hard, but it was just like, I felt some type of entitlement that I deserve some type of entitlement. I feel like, and I got humbled because I was like the top corner. One of the top corners, it was me and Eli. And I felt like I should just be, you know, like up there, but after like going and practice, we ended up starting training camp and going to practice first play. Um, it was a toss to Carlos Hyde on the outside corner. Got to make the tackle We in thud period. So I'm thinking like, I just stood up. I go to thud him up. He run me over first play. And I'm like, damn, I thought it was a thud period. Like they tripping. And I'm thinking like coaches going to stop it, like blow the whistle. Like, don't do that. Da, da, da. They like, no, nah, get your ass up. You got ran over. I'm just like, what? Like, man, what's going on? So I'm in training camp. We got two days. This is when two days was in. I think they're done with two days now. But two days, all this is going on, and I'm just like, bro, I can't do this. So I end up calling my mom and telling her like, I'm quitting. Like I'm not, I'm not doing this. This shit is too <laughs> rough. Like it's not for me. And uh, I think she ended up telling Coach Combs, and then Coach Combs had a meeting with me the next day, and he ended up talking to me. He was telling me like, I know it's hard, and because. It seemed like when they're on the field or in the weight room and stuff, it's like they don't give a fuck about you, which they do, but they're just coaching hard. And I never really dealt with hard coaching because I was always the man at high school. So I'm just like taking it different. And he was telling me, like, we're coaching you hard because we see potential in you. If we didn't, we wouldn't coach you hard. You know what I'm saying? We wouldn't care. And he was telling me all that. And he ended up like convincing me like not to quit. And I end up um but I ended up registering that year, like I said, because Roby was the starting corner and Duran ended up starting. And then Armani Reeves was the nickel. And there was like seniority and I didn't make my weight and I just wasn't ready because I didn't play football, like you said. So I wasn't really adapted to like all the stuff that comes with college. Cause in high school, it's just like you're athletic, go play. And college is know the scheme, know the, the defensive front. Like I got to know other people's positions, what they doing. I got to know what the office is doing, like splits and numbers and all that stuff. So, I definitely wasn't ready. I didn't even know how to watch film. We end up watching film. We never watched films of our games in high school. So I'm just like, man, this is crazy. So I ended up having a red shirt that year. So it didn't man. really plan out the way I wanted it to. How long did it take for your body to adjust to like the new training, the new diet? You know, putting on that much weight is pretty impressive, even in a, in yeah. a um, like how long before? I mean, I know the soreness doesn't really ever go away, but like when did it start yeah. to feel regular? Uh, 
so for when we started in the summer we would do lifting and running so like after probably like three maybe a month like it got cool and then like soreness and i was used to like working out and all that mm -hmm. but then like i said training camp started so it was a different type of thing and then they want you to make your weight after like going through two -a days and all this stuff so i'm losing like 10 pounds after a two -a day like and they want you to like gain that back by the next day and we only got like six hours left and before we go to sleep so i'm like how am i supposed to gain 10 pounds back like just it's crazy so but the transition from like the lifting and running to training camp that was kind of hard but after like i would say like the second week of training camp it got more like used to it but i feel like i adapted quickly to working out i think my body is just like it adapts to working out kind of quicker after that first three weeks it was hard of course because that was like my first actual straining hard stressful like training but like after that it was kind of like it just clicked on after that that's awesome so you you get through it you you welcome you get welcome to ohio state you get humbled um and i think what happened then is you got motivated right you got registered yeah. you didn't see the field um, but you also saw, you got to see what happened to the guys in front of you. You saw Roby go in and get drafted. You also mm -hmm. got to build the brotherhood, um, within the unit, within, with, with your team and teammates and have the college experience, which is, which is important. But I think your second year, um, you did get on the field, um, Probably not as much as you wanted to, but you did get Man, on the field. I got humbled that year too. <laughs> <laughs> tell, tell, tell us about that, the transition when you finally get on the field in college. Because at every level in, in football, there's a, a difference between the level of talent that you see at high mm -hmm. school, then you get in college, and you're on the field, and you're up against some NFL picks on the other side. How? Yeah. How did your transition go there? And again, you get humbled again. How did you keep your mindset from going fuck this again? <laughs> yeah. So um, it was like it was two tight. It was two different transitions, kind of. Because so the next year when Roby left and then Durant was coming back, it was basically an open spot for the starting corner. So it's me, Eli, um, Cam Burrows. And then Armani was a nickel, but he started at outside corner, I think, at first. So he was playing both. So it was basically a spot open, and it was four of us competing for it. So we all competing for it, and it's just like, at that time, like you said, I'm motivated because it's like it's open now, you know what I'm saying? And then this is yeah. when I, I got my weight. I've been through the program, the hard training, and it's just like, all right, now it's time to go. Like, it's time to get right. I've been watching film, doing what I need to do. So me and Eli actually end up, like, getting like real good for the spot or getting like top basically C for the spot. And we're both doing good. And I'm not going to say I was going to start and Eli's a great corner too, but it was just like out of me and him basically. And I had a chance to start. I don't know who they would have picked, but I ended up hurting my back. Like the week of our first game, I caught an interception high as fuck in the air and I landed on my back. I couldn't even get my feet to the ground because I was so high. And I ended up getting carted off the field and I was hurt. So I couldn't play that first game. So Eli ended up starting, which I'm not saying he wouldn't have started. That's my boy. Like, I don't know who they would have picked, but I'm saying like, I possibly could have been starting that game. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. I ended up not starting. So 
And then it's like once you get the starting spot there and you do decent or do good, like you got the spot. You got like, locked in. Yeah, you know yeah. what I'm saying? They don't rotate. And then so he ended up doing decent the first game. So it's just like he got the spot. So then I'm still preparing every week like I got to be ready. But I ended up playing special teams still when I came back. And I was on all four or yeah, I was on all four special teams. And then um, I was doing real good on special teams. But um, I'm still preparing like I'm going to play possibly. So I ended up not playing like a couple games, a lot of games actually, but I played special teams. So I only will prepare for my like 14, 15 plays a game. When After I got into the rhythm, like I ain't, I'm not playing corner. So then the Michigan State game comes and Eli got a hamstring during the week, but he still practiced. So I'm like, all right, he playing like nothing. No need to worry. But Coach Combs always was telling me like, you got to prepare like you plan, no matter what, because your time may be called no matter if somebody get hurt. But I'm just like, man, fuck him. I don't care. I'm I'm playing 14, <laughs> but I ain't playing. And Eli's practicing. I'm thinking, like, if Eli not practicing, then I'm going to play. But he's practicing yeah. the whole week. We go out in warm-ups, and he does the warm-up. And then when we go back in before we come back out, he like, my hammy ain't it. Like, you about to go. He tell me that right next to me. I'm like, what? Like, I'm about to start. And Coach Combs come tell me, like, Eli can't go. You starting. So I'm like shaking, like literally just shaking in my head. It's just my race. And I'm like, bro, what if I get scored on? Like, what if I'm not ready? And I'm not thinking nothing of confident. Like I worked for this, da, 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 which I have, you know what I'm saying? I prepared for it in other ways and built my body up and mentally and all that. But my mind mentally, just knowing that right then and there, I wasn't able to adjust my mindset for that right there. So I was just like nervous as hell. I ended up going out there, giving up a deep post on, like, the second play. Then I get ran over to play after that for a touchdown. And then I'm just like, oh, my God, what's going on? I just felt like my heart and my soul was just, like, under my cleats. And I was just stepping on it, just dragging it with me. I'm just like, man. And everybody – it's crazy because during that time, all that's happening, there's not one person, not one coach that's telling me, like, I'm fucking up or, like, like being negative, you know what I'm saying? Everybody was hyping me up, like, come on, you got this, like positive energy the whole time. But it was just me, like I was not there. And like the next series, I think I ended up getting like uh, a curl caught on me or something. And then Eli ended up actually coming back and just thugging it out, I guess, because <laughs> I don't know if he really <laughs> wanted like, to play or if he was just like, yo, my boy out there hurt. Like, or maybe it was both, but he ended up coming back in and he low-key saved me. But I was just <laughs> like, man, I... I was down bad. But then, like I said, after that, I ended up, we ended up winning the championship that year. And I had made a lot of big plays on special teams, but um, I didn't play corner. But after that, it kind of like reset my mindset. Like, now I really do have to prepare even during the week. Like, I'm going to be playing in the game. So I kind of prepared extra, watched extra film and did little extra workouts and whatever I needed to do, extra drills, whatever I need to do to make sure I'm ready if that happens again which it ended up not happening again. So I just played yeah. special teams. Mm-hmm. But then um, they we ended up winning the championship, first college football playoff history. And I've never taken that away from me, from being on a team that won a championship. But I didn't feel like I did enough to, like, really celebrate that championship. Like, of course, I'm grateful and blessed to be in that game. But I didn't play corner. Like, I was playing special teams. So I was like, I didn't really, like, win that championship you know what i'm saying i wanted to be the corner winning that championship so then the next year that was like my motivation i'm like i gotta be starting you know what i'm saying next year 
And then I end up actually starting, like I said, that humbling experience from redshirting and then going in the game and getting scored on, ran over it. That was always just not in the back of my head, but just a reminder, just like you can get humble real quick. So always be grateful and prepare extra and prepare way better than you did to be in those situations. So you don't be in a situation again. And then I end up winning a starting job and I end up starting at Ohio state that year. And the rest was just, I just kept balling. You know what I'm saying? You know, I think, I think a lot of people don't realize it, regardless of the field, the amount of work it takes to maintain success for a long, long period of time. And you know, that, that attitude, um, once you started to make the changes in your work habits that year, and mm-hmm. uh, did the extra prep um what what other kind of things did you have to do uh m- i'm more thinking like internally like from a mentality standpoint how did you wire yourself to be able to sustain that kind of new workload for you know essentially the rest of your life yeah um i think thinking about who i'm doing it for i mean people always say you got to have a why and my why is my family. Like I'm a big family guy. And another thing was Roby, <clears throat> Roby, um, when he made it to league, cause Roby, he's actually the one who taught me how to watch film. And he was like guiding me through that red shirt year. Cause I ended up traveling like, um, to every game cause they wanted me to get the experience, I guess. So he kind of helped me, uh, like learn more about corner and all that. So I think about like what he taught me and how I took those steps to, learn more and then also my why like i said like my family i'm just like him going to the league if he can do it i can do it so when he did that and then my boys going to the league eli that was like my best friend at ohio state him and von bell and all them all the people that just went to the league offense defense no matter what it's just like if they can do it i can do it it was motivation i never hated on them or nothing like it was always motivation and then me knowing my why like i said again my family is just like, I'm doing it for them. It's bigger than me. And that's why I always like think about anything I'm doing, anything I go through, like hard times, good times. It's just like, it's bigger than me. So that's really what helps me get through anything hard or help me do that extra mile, extra work, extra drill, extra film sessions. All that is just transitions from my why. Like I'm doing this for my family and I'm trying to have my kids eventually at the time I didn't have kids. So it's just like I want to make sure my kids are set. If I have kids, I want to make sure my family is set. I have a lot of brothers and sisters. Like I feel like I'm like the not the dad, but I feel like I'm the dad of all my brothers and sisters. You know what I'm saying? So everything I do and everything I think about internally is just like I got to do this for my family. I got to do this for my family. So it was just like I can't let them down, which they'll always be proud of me no matter what. But it's just like I don't want to let them down mm-hmm. and I want to make sure they're set for life. So it was just like that mindset i just kept it and just ran with it yeah let's let's talk about that that last year real quickly because it was literally you know Ohio state has a a huge tradition um at corners going back all the way back to jack tatum it's been a it's been a, a a position of strength for Ohio state but but that year specifically um was kind of the birth of the real bia right which was you had you, Marshawn Lattimore, and Malik Hooker. Yeah. All end up being first round draft picks, right? But yeah. did you guys know going into that year that you had something different, something special 
brewing because many people Man. think it's, it's the best secondary ever at Ohio State, which is high praise. Yeah. yeah. Did you guys kind of feel that energy or did you know or did was it just like you realized Man. it as it was happening? No cocky shit. Like I knew. I just knew like from practicing, like before the season even started, like before the year before that, like practicing, like we always like had competitive practices. Like I said, um, Ohio State, very competitive offense, defense, and they put that competitive environment. It's it's like a game. Practices are harder than games. And they say that because they want our games to be kind of easy, which is never easy, but they want the practices harder than games. So us just being in practices the year before that and then that next year, it was just like we was locking shit down. Like one-on-ones, we would use boxing gloves. We still strapping people up like Marshawn and – and we actually had Denzel too. We ended up rotating. Yeah, that Denzel year. was in there yeah. too. That's four they first all, round picks. Yeah, we all. And what's crazy is, so I'm basically a senior. I'm a redshirt junior, and I got seniority. I'm like the leader of the secondary room, but I still felt like my spot could be taken. That's how good Marshawn and Denzel were. And I'm just like, I can't just be like chilling. You know what I'm saying? I got to make sure I'm on my shit because they could take my spot because they just as good maybe as me. So, and then Malik, he just, he was a freak. Like, just one of the most athletic dudes I ever met. Like, so having him back there just made us feel more comfortable. And then, like I said, in practices, it just, we just felt it. We seen it. Like, it was, it was, we always did like winner loser days. And we just always just be whooping the, the offense's ass. I mean, of course, they beat us too, but I felt like we got the upper hand. I know they're going to talk shit if they see this, but I feel like the defense got the upper hand my senior year. But like I said, Marshawn, Denzel, and Malik, like I seen it during the summer of 2016. Like it was way before the season even started. And then the season just kept going on. And as it went on, it just proved that we were ready and we were just dominant. Yeah, I don't think there's ever been a team with that. All, all four corner, the three corners and safety going, going in the first round. So you Man, guys are it's different. <laughs> we're definitely locking everything, locking everything down. But I think this phase too, I think you're realizing and thinking about the next phase. One, you, you know, you, you graduated from Ohio State, which is an accomplishment in itself when you are an athlete as well. But in thinking through kind of this process happens, right? When you start being recognized at each level, mm-hmm. suddenly you become everybody's best friend, right? And <laughs> that, that's, uh, that's off the field, that's on the field, that's agents, yeah. everybody coming at you. How hard was it to kind of maintain your focus with the fact that people were trying to tell you your shit didn't stink anymore. You know, you went through the adversity, but now you're balling. You are highly regarded and everybody wants to know you. Everybody wants to get close to you. Everybody wants to tell you how great you are. Right. Um, I mean, like I said, I'm, well, I'm trying to work on it, but I'm basically like anti-social dude. So <laughs> all the hype and all that, like, like I said, at high school, the hype kind of got to me. But like I said, I was still like a low key type dude. So me going through all that, getting humbled and that just made me more, even more humble. And it was just like 
I don't, my mindset was already there. Like, I don't care to meet a whole bunch of people and talk to a bunch of people. I could care to have a conversation with any uh, celebrity or athlete or agent or good coach, bad coach. Like, I don't really care. So it was just my mindset was already there as like, with the praise and all that, I was just like, nah, like I already been through this and I got humbled when I was accepting all this praise and thinking I was the best person on the planet and all this stuff. Like, so I think that red shirt year, that kind of like humbled me and it just set the tone for me right then and there. Like, it was just like, I didn't even feel the praise and all that. I mean, of course I felt it or seen it, but it was just like, I didn't treat it as any other way. Like I treated myself like I was any other person that was like going to the league or any of that. So it really, it didn't phase me as much. Yeah, that's awesome. That's like, it's rare to handle that kind of attention in that way. I think a lot of people, a lot of people struggle with it, but it's, it's good. You were able to stay grounded. I'm sure it was like a lot of the formative lessons of the, the previous years taught you not to take anything for granted. So when you, you've been through so much, it's hard to, um, hard to get phased by people who haven't been through it telling yeah. you what it could be it's like yeah i know what it could be that's why i went through all that exactly yeah, yeah. that's exactly how i felt man. yeah and, go, and, and going through that i mean your next year um <clears throat> was a tough one because although you improved individually and in, in the t- and, and your, the secondary was great um you guys were not able to repeat as national champions uh, despite having probably the most talented beyond the secondary, mm-hmm. you had <laughs> you had Joey Bosa, Ezekiel Elliott. Uh, you guys probably have one of the, the most talented teams um, ever put together. But I think you, you you and I have had the conversation. The challenges yeah. come specifically in college when you, for the first time, you see mm-hmm. how much money is involved and you guys aren't getting paid right right you're seeing the coaches get bonuses driving new cars you're seeing um you're seeing everybody make more money around you right and it seemed like some of the guys for the first time that's their lick they get they start to feel the resentment um factor of hey we're amateur athletes and everybody else around us is seeing these huge benefits and we're not, and that's why they say it's so hard to repeat specifically in college yeah. as national champions because it's you see it, you actually right. face yeah. with it. Mm-hmm. Tell us about that a little bit and, and, and what you guys went through as a team and, and as amateur athletes after after the national championship. Yeah, I mean, of course, after we won that, players getting super hype and like just. I'm not going to say like they were selfish, but in a, in a sense, they were, you know, thinking about themselves, you know what I'm saying? Like and how, cause they got families and they got wives, you know what I'm saying? All that. So I'm sure like people were getting offered money and all that. Like I ain't get offered no money. And <laughs> honestly, if I would have got offers money, I would have took it. I don't get yeah. But people were getting off. I know people were getting offered money, like yeah. quarterbacks for sure. Running backs, quarterbacks and running backs at Ohio state are, like gods to everybody so yeah i know everybody on the offense was offered some type of money or something and people were just coming left and right and even but like i said i was on special teams that year we won the championship but even like if i would go out people were like they knew my name like some people not as much as like zeke or jt or all them but some people knew my name or like 
or buy me drinks and stuff if we go out. You know what I'm saying? So like that praise, I kind of feel like that's part of it, like you said. But also like when you, like you said, people seeing people getting bonuses like Coach Meyer, I'm sure got a bonus after the championship, all this stuff. And then people's jerseys are selling. And that's a, a year when people were talking about how people should get paid more after the championship and people getting bonuses, jersey sales are going up and all that. So it kind of like it gets to people's heads, I feel like. And like I said, I didn't know how people felt like personally about like money and getting paid and all yeah. that. But I mean, I know everybody felt like they deserved to get paid, but I don't know how it affected them on the field or not, but it definitely was like a challenge for us. And then, like I said, the pressure of repeating is already a challenge because it's like, you got people leave. We got a good team, but some people leave. Some people are put in different positions, different roles. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's another adjustment for the a team. A lot of guys are, are thinking about their NFL futures. There's a yeah. lot, there's people a lot leave, going man. on yeah. um, during that time period. Right. And, mm-hmm. You guys weren't able to repeat, um, but you know it was a uh, it was a good it was it was definitely a good season regardless of that. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and then you know I, I I kind of have my questions on what exactly the coaches were doing in the Michigan State game, but you know that's that's a little man. <laughs> <laughs> that's they a- were tweaking, man. <laughs> They were tweaking. We all we didn't even know what they was doing. I'm like, what the fuck is Zeke not running the ball? Like, people was just there. It was just a shit show, man. Like, like I never knew. I never asked questions. I mean, unless it was like pertaining to the defense, but like yeah. offense, I never asked questions. Like, I don't know what's going on over there, but we never really know what's going on with the coaches. They'd be arguing and doing all yeah. type of shit. Like yeah. when we getting getting beat on and shit. So. What's that? What's that change too in terms of uh, how the coaches interact with the players post post championship? Was there a different era in the locker room? Uh, it wasn't so much different. I feel like I did feel like it was a little let up, you know, because we won a championship. So like the year before the championship, my first year there, when we ended up losing in the Orange Bowl to Clemson. And we sh- they should have if we went oh we lost the Big Ten championship that year too to yeah you guys you guys didn't yeah. make it to the playoff that yeah year and then you made it in your final year yeah to so, the playoff um, yeah um, that year before that that off season that was probably the hardest off season I ever went through at Ohio State before the year of the championship that winter before the championship year that was in the summer that was the hardest off season ever and they like put like pictures all over our lockers and like show videos like in the hallway of people getting ran over mossed and like just all our bad games and all that shit like they made us feel that so then like winning a championship that next year it was just like we didn't feel none of that that next offseason so we not gonna repeat if we don't feel that same pressure and that grit to have that motivation to do what we did the year before because it's kind of like a a sigh of relief like we won a championship now we don't have to go through an off season as hard as last year but it's kind of like that off season made us win the championship so it's like we got to find a way maybe it's not going to be like the videos and stuff but we got to find a way to prepare how we did last year so we can win another championship but we didn't so that's why we didn't end up winning yeah, yeah. It, it's tough it's tough to maintain intensity especially after success it's exactly. tough to find another reason you know that like 
like the last dance, right? I, I always think mm-hmm. about that. MJ invented so many reasons to get upset. That's the only reason he was able to stay working hard for so many years. And I'm sure LeBron does the same thing, you know what right. I mean? And it's, yeah. you know, that I, I can't, I can't think of many people that have been able to manage an organization to that level. It's hard to win repeated championships consistently for a long period of time. Yeah, yeah. for sure. So that happens. And in the, in your final year, you're, you're a leader of the team um, and you guys do get back to the football college football playoff. Um, right. You got there the, your last year. Yeah. We got blew out my Clemson. Yeah, okay. <laughs> tell, tell us about that. When you think you're really good and you play really well and then you go yeah. to a game, I was actually at that game. Yeah. <laughs> you, you go to this, the, the last game of the season and yeah. you get blown out and get humbled again. Man, I was so, so hyped that year because we was just balling. Secondary, we had, I don't know how many touchdowns total, but we had minimum four touchdowns. I remember Marshawn, he got a pick in the first game, I think, and then I got a pick the next game, and then the next game, I think Malik got a pick six, and Marshawn got a, Malik and Marshawn got a pick six in the same game, and then I had a pick that game. So we had three picks that game and a two pick sixes, and then – Malik had, I think, two, three, maybe. He had three so picks. many. Man, so many he had so many pick sixes. He was just eating, and we were just all eating. We're rotating. We never rotated a secondary before, but we're just that good that Denzel is in the picture. We're rotating. And I'm a senior, and I could have, like, been pissed, like, no, I'm not rotating all that. But, I mean, it made me better because I ended up playing nickel that year. Um so when Denzel would come in, it would be me, Marshawn, Denzel, and Phil at the same time. And I wasn't even mad at rotating because Denzel deserved it. He earned it. Um, we end up being good. Get to the playoff again. We feel like we're going to be like 2014 team. Going, we're hype. Clemson, uh, Deshaun Watson, it's a big-ass game. I'm ready to play against Deshaun because I know he's a good quarterback. Second play of the game, I know the fucking play, like, they put Mike Williams, he got a cut split, and then they motion the running back out to empty. And they, if they're if we're in man, they're going to throw the seven route to Mike Williams. So once the running back runs out, I'm like, I got a pick right here. I already know it's coming. Mike Williams runs the seven. He slips and falls. I get a pick. Second play of the game. So we in our high red right, right off the rip. Didn't end up scoring. Uh, missed a field goal. And then... After that, we get like another stop on defense and then get a three and out real quick. And then it just kept going like that. We end up getting like four sacks and two picks or three picks and didn't score on offense and blew out 31-0, which we thought second play of the game pick like it's going to be a great game. And we got humbled again. Like I said, it was just. What, what does that feel like on, on defense when, you know, the offense can't get it going and you guys do have it going and. You know, you just yeah. see that. Like, what what's the emotional journey like during the game? How do you stay locked in? Uh, honestly, I don't know how we did it. Like, how we got that way. Maybe it was just because the coaches, like, it, they showed us. Because, like we said, we're still young, so we're seeing them. But like ever, like I said, from my sophomore year when I got humbled on the field, when I got ran over and all that, like there was never any negativity from coaches or anything. Like it was always positivity. Mm. And I think coach Meyer and coach Mick, they, they built that. Like it's never, it's never over. 
type mentality. So like anytime we were losing in any year, I've been there. It was never we always thought we were going to come back and win no matter how bad the like loss was. So it's 31 zero. So we didn't even score that game. But I didn't feel like we were going to lose that game until the game was over. Like mm-hmm. so it was just like through that whole game. We're, we're picking up the offense. We tell them, like, come on, y'all got this. Because we know. We go against them in practice. They they beat us. We beat them. Like, we know how good they are. So, it's just like they can definitely beat them if they can beat us because we feel like we the best. So, if they can score on us or catch the ball on us or run the ball on us in practice, they can do it against anybody. So, we in the game and it's just not going our way on offense. And we just, like, keep egging them on. Like I said, coaches are positive. Everybody's positive. So, I feel like that, like I said, it comes from Coach Meyer and Coach Mick and the staff, like they were always just positive. So the team just always wanted to be positive. And the camaraderie, like I said, is just we always were so close. Like we would sit in the locker rooms as teammates, offense, defense, special teams, whatever. Like we would all would just sit in the locker room and kick it like for hours after you would think like we want to get out of there as quick as possible. Like, no, nah, we would be chilling in the locker room, just kicking it. So it's just like you didn't want to let them, nobody down. Like V said, the brotherhood, it was a real thing. And that taught me like what brotherhood really meant. Like it was just always positivity, never, never any negativity. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. So you you finish out disappointed, obviously, but you did get you did, you guys did make the playoff, and and now you suddenly got to focus on the next phase of your life, which is how am I uh, going to take all this talent and development and take it to the next level? And the opportunity was really there for you when did you kind of process that and what was your mindset going into the nfl draft when did i process what the fact that your college career was over and it was it was it was time for you to become a professional um i mean it was after we lost that game honestly it was just like i feel like i mean some people take it differently, but like, I feel like when I lose or like when I have adversity, that helps me get to my next phase. It helps me transition to what I'm doing next better. So like if we would have won the championship or won it, I mean, of course I would want to, but I feel like, like you said, to handle the praise and all that and to be able to repeat, like it wouldn't be a college championship, but to be able to like handle that praise and all that is, is harder. I feel like it's easier for me to go through adversity to be able you know, to transition to what I want to do next. So us losing, it just is adding motivation. It's fueling me. So it's just like, all right, now I got to go to the league. Oh, and also what fueled me was uh, I ended up being second team Big Ten that year. And I felt like I definitely deserved more, which I didn't get a lot of action in games because I was a returning starter and I had a good junior year. So they didn't throw me a lot of like balls yeah, pe- my way. People yeah. don't people don't realize that too about that season. It was like they saw Malik get all the pick sixes and march yeah. on, but it was because nobody was throwing to your yeah, side. I kept like, telling everybody that. Man, like, there was uh we had um our production sheet and it would be make a play and then it would be like total plays and it'd be like targets or whatever. And it was like at least three or four games where I didn't have any targets. So it's just like, how do I even get production if I'm not even getting the ball <laughs> thrown my way? Like, so it's just like, so I ended up making second team big 10 and I'm just like, man, I'm an all big 10 player. Like, and then because of that, I'm not a high draft pick at the time. Like I yeah. wasn't, I wasn't yep. considered first round after we beat or lost. People didn't know that people thought you were slow too. That yeah. was funny. I thought I was slow. Like just, I wasn't 
I wasn't even there. Like I wasn't first round draft pick yeah. to anybody but myself. So I was already motivated after that. And then, like I said, us losing, I'm like, man, I got to prove myself like that I'm better than what, because when we lose, our team loses. I lose too. So I got to prove myself that we're better. I'm better than what we show 31-0 uh, defeat. And I got to prove that I'm fast, which I know I've been fast all my life. And then I got to <laughs> prove I'm first round capability. You know what I'm saying? So we end up going to the, um, uh, I did get invited to the combine. So I'm like, all right, I got a chance to prove myself. So um, what was crazy is, so another thing that fueled me was, so teams, they want you to work out for them. Some teams want you to work out for them when you come on visits. And the Eagles, they uh, they wanted me to come visit. And then I think because Marshawn had like some of the similar teams, he had the yeah. Eagles too. But they wanted me to work out, but they didn't want Marshawn to work out. So I'm like, why they want me to work out? Like, why they want him to work out too? So they think like he better than me, which I never compare myself like in that sense. But I'm just like, like I'm not about I'm to work as, out and get I'm hurt. Yeah, good. I'm just as I'm, good. You know what I'm yeah. saying? I'm not about to work out. And then people like you get hurt in workouts and all that. I'm like, no, nah, I'm not about to do that. And I remember them saying, like, if they if I don't work out, they're not gonna draft me and blah blah blah. I'm like, man, I don't care. Like, I'm cool. So but I ended up going to the combine and uh having a good combine. And I was really more focused on the 40 to show I was fast and then the drills, like the drills is what I was yeah, you crushed. about. Yeah. You cr- it's it's crazy how that happens, right? I think they had you graded as a second or third round pick. Yeah. And the moment that you hit hit that four four. Mm-hmm. something 40 and you did the drills they yeah. suddenly are talking about you as the number one corner in the trap yeah like it's crazy on, how that how it's that crazy happened. like so that didn't happen all the years when i was playing like all the games i played i wasn't that person i just magically because you got all that because you can run in a straight line <laughs> i magically got four four uh <laughs> two months after my last game like come on bro people love numbers yeah people love numbers numbers don't lie i guess you know yeah <laughs> yeah but numbers also lie a lot yeah like <laughs> the same you look at your, if you look yeah like you were just saying if we were to just look at picks the last season then yeah. we wouldn't get the whole story right yeah, yeah. true yeah. i like that i'm gonna have to use that <laughs> <laughs> if, if and this is where things kind of get get tricky you're on top of the world right you, you crush the combine you're um you would, you just went through some of the most intense training. Your back was feeling good. They're talking about you the way that you 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 feel like you deserve to be talked about. And then your success takes a shot at you. Man, <laughs> man, man. <laughs> so what are you going to do? Are you going to become unsuccessful is the question. I always remember that line from American Gangster. Where it's like your success took a shot at you. Are you going to become unsuccessful? And this is a product and, and this is something that I think is, is a topic you and I talk about a lot about the difficulty of being in the public eye and what that does to the people around you, you know, um, and you become a target, right? Because if you're an NFL player, NBA player, people know exactly, or your draft status, they know exactly how much money you make. They know everything about your life and where you're headed. They see the energy that comes with being around you. And sometimes you took a moment you took a day to kind of celebrate yourself. <laughs> and I, I had known that you had not really been out um, too much. And then the situation happens where 
someone accuses you of rape right um, and you know that that's not the not the case but at the end of the day everybody has to respond and this happens right before the draft right perfect timing right <laughs> <laughs> right right before the draft and suddenly now you everything that you worked so hard for everything that you built up and did the right thing you make you know one bad judgment yeah. uh, regardless of the after effect i think now we can talk about and you you can look back and say precious stayed my ass in the house yeah Definitely, but, but that situation led to a series of things, right? One, you have yeah. to protect your reputation to the entire world. Mm -hmm. People thinking something of you and judging you and making people that don't even know you. Right. And then the actual impact that it's going to have on you professionally, because you weren't even sure if you were going to get drafted because the year before Lyle Collins gets talked about as a person of interest and he's not even a suspect and he goes from being a first round draft pick to going undrafted so you're processing all of this as like a 22 year old um how, what was going on in your head when that first happened and 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 you saw it i know your heart probably sank but just mm -hmm. dealing and processing that what was supposed to be the best period of your time now turning into your biggest nightmare in life Man, uh, I'm not going to get into like details about the case, but yeah, one thing about it was that the girl was telling people that she was gonna um file a rape case and it never came out because it happened like I think a month before the draft or the incident or whatever. Um, so everything is like cool because it never came out, but I heard her. Like I heard people saying that she said she was gonna put it out, but it never came out. So I'm like, if it never came out, I'm just living regular, you know? And I get a fly ass suit made and everything for the draft. I'm geeked. Uh, I'm going to Philly for the draft that year. It was in Philly. I fly into Philly with Adam, my agent, and we on the plane. And I guess it came out when I'm on the plane. So I didn't even know. I land at the hotel where uh, the draft people were staying or whatever. Soon as I get to the check-in desk, I didn't even get to check in. Like the NFL media came and grabbed me, or the NFL uh people, I forget who it was exactly. I know one of them was like the media head media dude or something. They grabbed me and took me to like the little conference room at the hotel, and they're like, Uh, did you see the internet? And I'm like, No, nah, I was on a plane, like I didn't see shit. And then they show me and it just says rape Kate, like you gotta you rape somebody. I'm just like, What? And I'm just like, Oh my god. So like you said, when I seen it, I'm just like, what the hell? Like, what's going on? And I'm just like, I feel like I wasn't even like there. Like, I felt like I was just like in a sunken place. Like, I was just like, why on this the day before the draft? Like, why? Like, come on, bro. Like, if this would have happened, like, for real, like, why wouldn't you just do it right then and there? Why are you wait until the day before the draft? So that happens. And they're like, um, we don't know what you want to do if you want to stay, but we have like a lot of events and it's going to be a lot of media at every event because they do like charity stuff and all that for all the draft prospects and just a lot of events. So it's going to be media, everything, interview and all that. And they're just like, they're, we know they're going to bombard you with everything. Do you want to stay? And I'm like, no, nah, I want to go home. So I end up flying right back out the next flight out back home. And I'm just like, man, 
I'm not about to get drafted. Like you said, like that was the first thing in my head. Like I'm done. Like, and it's crazy because the first thing I thought was I ain't do that shit. But then the next thing I thought was like, it don't matter. Like the court system, it could be, it, you could never do anything and still end up guilty. So I'm just like, fuck. And then even me knowing I didn't do anything, possibility of winning, I'm just like me having this incident alone is not going to, people don't want like, uh accusations or just that media with their team so i'm like i'm not gonna get drafted so i end up going home uh next flight out and then the next day is the draft and i'm just like i don't even want to watch this shit like no teams called me no nobody talked to me nothing like nobody said nothing to adam so it's just like what's what's gonna happen but i'm like i don't even want to watch the draft i'm still thinking in my head like i'm not getting drafted anything and um uh, my mom and like my family, they had set up like a watch party at this hotel in Canton. And I was just thinking like, man, I don't want to go. And now I was just like, man, I'm going to go just because I want to watch my boys get drafted because I know Marshawn and uh, Malik going to get drafted and all my people from Ohio State. So I'm like, man, I'm going to go. And I think I was just, who was I with? I was with somebody. I'm trying to remember who I was with. I was with one of my homies or my cousins and I got a call from Adam and he said the Ravens want me to do a lie detector test. And it was like in Akron, which is 30 minutes from Canton. And this is like an hour or two yeah, before, the before the draft. Man, bro, I'm like, I'm like, hell yeah, I'm doing that shit. So I fly up to Akron. We mashing on a dash up to Akron. We get there in like 15 minutes. And <laughs> I do the lie detector test and I end up passing it. So I had sent it to like, I'm sure Adam has sent it to teams and stuff, but I even told all my people like that I knew from O State that went to the league, like, hey, tweet this out. I passed a lot of detective tests and it just like went like over the media that I passed it, I guess. And teams just seen, but I'm just it's an hour before the draft. So I'm like, even if it goes out, like I'm still not gonna get drafted. So yeah, I go to the hotel just to with my family and stuff. The energy is like it's not like I'm about to get drafted. It's just like, hey, how you doing? I hope you're okay. Da, 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 da. And I'm watching the draft. And then Marshawn goes and I'm geeked. And Malik goes and I'm geeked. And then I'm just like, I don't care after this. So I'm not even really watching the draft after that. I'm just like on my phone. People, we just like having a good time just because my family is there, just lifting my spirits. And then I get a phone call and the Raiders, it was the Raiders. And, uh, it was Reggie McKenzie. He was like, hey, this is Reggie McKenzie from Oakland Raiders. And I'm like, no fucking way, bro. There's no way he's talking to me right now. And he ended up saying that we drafting you to the Oakland Raiders. And when I got the call, everybody, they, because they're not thinking the same, they think the same thing. Like, we're not, you're not getting a call from them. So everybody just like, and then when they see me, like, drop my head and like smile and everything, everybody just starts screaming. And they knew. And then it came on the TV and it was just, it was yeah. the biggest relief ever, man. It was just crazy. It was, it was a it was a crazy crazy moment. But I think it's a it's yeah. the storyline here of your story, kind of both on and off the field, is adversity happens and how do you respond to it? Right. Yeah. You can quit, or you can sink into your emotions and feel sorry for yourself, yeah. or you can just put your best foot forward and 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 try your best. And I think, you know, a lot of a lot of that situation was responding to it being straightforward about it you know obviously can't speak about the about the details of it too much but 
to despite that you know you still lost um a significant amount of of money as a result you lost your nike deal Mm -hmm. and then you had this stigma there's probably people still to this day who still think poorly of you as a result of what they read in a news report about you Mm -hmm. um do you just kind of look at that as as this was kind of what was or do you still kind of does it still piss you off or is it something that you kind of (laughs) process and just kind of accept it as i was supposed to learn a lesson from this i learned the lesson i paid a price Mm -hmm. and i've got to i've got to move on from it um it's a little bit of both so it doesn't piss me off to where it affects other things around me or what i'm doing but it's it's still pissing me off. One because I'm still in it. The trial just got pushed back again. Um, supposed to be in April, but for the civil civil for the civil case, yeah. yeah the the the, so, the criminal charges were yeah dismissed, dropped, dropped, and then that's why that's why it pisses me off. Because one, I'm still in it, so I still think about it and how I beat a criminal case with all the evidence I had and with two eyewitnesses and just all that. And then a year later, she comes out with a civil case and then it takes three more years to even get the case even over with. And then um, but on the other side is, like you said, it's a lesson that I should have. I mean, of course, I'm going to kick it, but I shouldn't have put myself in that situation. And I was just talking to my little brother uh, like probably a week ago about how. You have to look at certain things like some things you you it just happens but certain things that happen you have to look at where did you have the responsibility or where could you could have done something different to change the outcome of how it is now and i told him that's what kind of helped me settle with the case and everything that happened because it was just like my i shouldn't have been in that room with that random girl that i don't know you know what i'm saying so once i figured that out like how to process that as like always look at the situation as what you did wrong like what you could have did better to change the situation. Like you had some type of responsibility in that situation. So every time I think about that, that's what actually helps me like be at peace with it. Cause it's like, I have some type of responsibility. I, she shouldn't have went that far as to a rape case or whatever, but I shouldn't have never been in that room with her in the first place. So like yeah. you said, it, it definitely teaches me a lesson. Yeah. It's like in, in life you have all these moments that, you know, they feel so painful and it's like, sometimes it's like you wonder what what else you saved yourself from from learning the lesson that way right like the mm-hmm. the next situation that was coming your way could have been a lot lot worse and you know you could have you could have you know dodged a, a ton of bullets from the learning that you had however yeah. painful it was right yeah definitely it, it definitely opened up my eyes and it just like you said it it could have been I mean, of course it was worse, but it could have obviously been worse. And it was a lesson learned for sure because I beat the criminal case. So God was obviously telling me like, he put me through this for a reason. And I don't know the reason, but it definitely was a reason. And I went through it and he got me through it, the first part of it, because he knew that I didn't do it obviously, but just to teach me a lesson and make sure I learned from the, the past uh, and create my future way better. Yeah, yep. this this whole like this whole world, you know, I I feel like the more and more it it changes, the more you need to to move with, you know, with some people with you everywhere you go. You kind of have to always watch your back in this world. And it's like it 
they don't teach you that growing up. You know what I mean? Everyone's everyone's yeah. trying to glorify <laughs> all the different roles of you, whether it's media, whether it's you know fans or other people or whatever, whatever it might be. It's like at the end of the day, you especially when you're in a position where you know a lot of people are looking your way. It's like the responsibility is is pretty massive, and I I really don't think a lot of fans comprehend that when it comes to sports or you know really in any field like the the price of fame is significant. Yeah, for sure. It definitely is. And like you said, it's just people going to target you more like because you're bigger. And it's just like you can't put yourself like I did in that instance. You can't put yourself in no situation because you're already a target. So you're making yourself a bigger target by putting yourself in those vulnerable situations. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's the other part of this, right, is like sometimes you have to you have to weigh the you don't learn to weigh the risks and benefits until you actually pay a price right Definitely. and all you were thinking about that night was I, I, i've busted my ass and i want a night out with my friends and family right but you didn't realize okay now you realize okay well probably shouldn't drink too much i probably shouldn't be in a club mm-hmm. you can you only learn that lesson by actually learning the lesson right? Right, you don't exactly. learn, yeah. you don't learn yeah. that that lesson any other way obviously right. the consequences shouldn't have been the price that you paid right, right. Um, but you still despite that we're blessed to be a first round nfl draft pick which not too many people can say yeah. uh, and you get drafted to one of the best organizations in sports yeah. historic i wouldn't say best <laughs> yeah. let me take the best part yeah. back. tradition rich <laughs> tradition rich yeah. rich programs and and you go to a, a a situation um where you are you have the opportunity to prosper um and come in and be a star at the nfl level but you know once again you know you come in and you play and you play well but again you face obstacles <laughs> Um, Let's keep them coming. <laughs> <laughs> take take us into that. You get into the NFL. You know you can play at that level. Um, yeah. I, I was watching games, and you know you're sitting there matching up with Tyreek Hill and and giving him giving him a game. But yeah, there's a lot to process as an NFL athlete that you don't have to process in college. You're living on your own. The camaraderie isn't the same. You're dealing with other people who are fighting for jobs, right? right. Mm-hmm. It's completely different um, between college and NFL. Mm-hmm. Take us, take us into, take us into like your mindset there. How it affected you? Because people just see the glory, but how it was affecting you mm-hmm. mentally, right? Yeah. Just everything that was changing. Um. So one thing about. I'm going to go back to Ohio State real quick is uh, Coach Meyer and Mick, they always have, and you can tell like another way how Coach Meyer is a good guy because players always come back to see him. Like people were coming back from Florida to see him and all that. So it's just like, he's obviously a good guy because if he wasn't, I wouldn't come back to see him after I go to the league. Like, but anyways, um, he, he taught us, like to be prepared for a league, like they kind of set it up as to show us what's going to happen in the league. So like weigh-ins, we had weigh-ins in college and all that, and we'd have to do extra running and all that if we didn't make our weight. But in the league, it's it's just a fine. You get fined if you don't make your weight and all that. So they set us up in that. And then they told us like, Coach Meyer always told us like this camaraderie, 
remember it. You're going to remember it for the rest of your life because it's never going to be the same if you go to the next level. And even next level in, in the workspace, the workplace, like it's not going to be kicking in and chilling in the office after hours with your coworkers and all that because you're competing for a job to feed your family. It's not the same as college. So when I got to the league, I kind of already knew that. So I was ahead of the game because I was already preparing for that. And he was right. Like I get to the league and there's players that are trying to feed their family. You know what I'm saying? They don't care about me. Like I'm trying to feed my family. Like it's not like beef, but it's just like it's business. It's all business. So it's just like if he got a chance to start corner and I got a chance to start corner, we're competing and there's barely any camaraderie there. You know what I'm saying? Like me and Marshawn, we're competing at Ohio State, but we best friends. And it's just like me and this dude in the league, we're competing, but he's trying to feed his daughter and I'm trying to feed my son. So it's just like we not we cool, but we not we not on that same type of level of camaraderie. So it's that challenge. And then um like you said, it's it's a whole different level of the playing field and it's faster and every athlete out there is willing and trying to go hard and is talented and maybe as talented as you and more talented. So you have to find a difference or separate yourself and find what you're special at and what can differentiate you from other corners or whatever position you're playing. So I had to find that with me. And also um, like just the coaching and it's, it's just way different. So me having that mindset of already knowing what I'm going into, it kind of helped me from Coach Meyer telling me. So I was kind of prepared for that. But it's definitely different. Like the game is different, like faster. I mean, of course, it's still football, but just the speed of the game is different. The level of competition and like the camaraderie in the locker room is not the same. Like you'll have some people that you like real cool with or whatever. But as a whole team, you're you're not cool like that. Like it's all business. It's kind of like I call it corporate America. It's the same thing. It's the same thing as working in an office with somebody else. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it, it's like that. I think that disconnect is something we're all kind of feeling in society right now. It's just the, I feel it in, in business and entrepreneurship, like that camaraderie you have with a really close team, especially when nobody has family obligations, you know, all the other stuff you got to deal with as an adult. Mm-hmm. It's different, man. And yeah. that's like, it's bittersweet to accept that part of life. It's it's hard to find as an adult the same kind of connection, friendship, and belonging until you yeah. really build your own family out. Right. Yeah. It's it's definitely a difference. And but like I said, it's not like a, a downer, like I'm just complaining about it. Cause I've met a lot of people that I'm still close with, like from the Raiders and yeah. the Texans and all that. But it's just it's just a difference. Like like you said, you're an adult now, yeah, right? Yeah, the adult adult part of it is just different because you got so much more responsibility. You're not worrying about uh, a lot of things in college, and when you get to the league, it's like now I got a kid, so I'm worried about my kid. I'm worried about my family bills. You know what I'm saying? Where I'm going to stay, where I'm going to live, like all that. So it's definitely a different. And and not only that, like, and you talked about this. You said, you know, your why is to take care of your family, and when you realize too that you care for people genuinely, but they see you um, based on your salary. Even people that you know well, people that you grew up with, people that you thought were one way, kind of mm-hmm. look at you as a 
as a bank account. And I'm not talking about that like in a negative because I think there's there's reasons why people change like that and it's not always their fault. But that aspect of it is obviously something that frustrated you as well, which was, do you care about me still or do you just care about the fact that I can provide for you now? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, like you said, people even close to you, man, you'll feel that shit with them. And it's just like, like you said, it's, it's all over the Internet. And it's just like it's crazy because, I mean, it's like they set you up for that. You know what I'm saying? Like, why why is my salary on the internet? You know what I'm saying? Like, why yeah. why can people know how much I make? And why don't I know how much Joe makes at his office? Like <laughs> shit like that. But it's just like, I mean, it, it's it's just it's not what I signed up for, but it's what I signed up for at the same time. But um I definitely wasn't I was ready, but I wasn't ready for the, the close people. I was I was definitely ready for like the outsiders and people I was yeah. like cool with. But the close people, I definitely wasn't ready for that uh, to to be money hungry and all that. But the money, uh, I don't I don't play for money. So like, I don't do anything I do for money. Of course, I like money and money helps me and helps me take care of my family and I deserve it or I earn it. Not deserve it. I earn it with my hard work. But that's not why I work hard. I work hard to be an example for my family. Like you said, I'm a big family man. And I'm always genuine and I've helped so many people out and I don't ever ask for uh, refunds or favors or pay me back. I mean, I will if it's a crazy amount of money, like you ain't about to just get over on me. But I've definitely helped people out genuinely. And for people that are close to me to just only see me in that way, I I don't understand it. And it's it's weird to me, like. I always say you just weird is like one of my favorite words for people who are crazy and just it's just weird to me like how you could even process that like me being in college i was sometimes uh zero cents in my account zero dollars like negative 23 cents and my stepmom she makes decent money you know what i'm saying and i could have asked her for money at any time of course i did sometimes when i actually like if i needed at my last but there was times where i'd be negative cents in my account and i wouldn't even ask her even though i could just because i don't like asking people for help in that sense like and it's just like i don't understand why you would come to me to when i get on this level on this next level and get some money in my pocket why you would come to me for your your problems and all your situations when you never came to me before this like It'd be different kind of if you came to me before I had money, but you never even came to me for any type of help or anything. And now that I got money, you just feel like you have some type of entitlement to come and take my money that I earned that you didn't work for. So, yeah, that shit is definitely weird to me. Yeah, There's, <laughs> a, there's a famous saying in like uh, fundraising for startups is that if you ask for money, you get advice. And if you ask for advice, you get money. Real, <laughs> <laughs> kind of like that. You yeah. come out, you know, and you're asking for dollars. People can see right through that. Like they kind of can right. see. You when whenever people ask for money, it's never really the money they need. It's it's yeah. something else that they need to figure out on their own. But right. when they have their stuff working together and they're just looking for insights on how to grow what they're already building, that's somebody you want to give money to because you're right. going to be back on that. Yeah, I never heard that. That's crazy. <laughs> say that again so when uh when you ask for advice you get money when you ask for money you get advice 
Yeah, I'm gonna have to write that in my notes. <laughs> <laughs> you said when you ask for advice, you get money. Yep, and then flip that. Ask for money, you get advice. <laughs> it is the truth, man. It's one of the hacks. <laughs> I've, I don't think I've ever really asked anybody for money in my life, other than man. my parents. Yeah, <laughs> like your parents. Like, yeah. like, come on, bro. I'm not about to ask another. And it's crazy because I I probably ask people for money, but I always yeah. pay them back. Like, I'm yeah. like, hey, if I if my account that's borrowing, yeah, That's yeah, important. borrow, yeah, borrow. Yeah. I never ask just to like not pay them back. Like, my I, yeah, account I, froze or something. Like, all right, can I I'll pay you back tomorrow or whatever? But yeah, I don't think yeah. I've ever asked for personal. I've just dealt with the consequences of my decision making. Yeah, like, come on, man. For my business, my job is fundraising, so I ask for money all day. Yeah, <laughs> but it's yeah. to help. It's for a cause. Yeah, yeah, yeah and, and and that's it, right? And that's that's what brings up an interesting conversation about money. We live in a society in a country. If you look at Instagram, we talk about this all the time. Everything is driven by money. It's driven by millions, right? Everybody yeah. wants to be a millionaire, and it's really hard to become a millionaire. You know, for sure. Um, but for you guys, you guys go from broke to being millionaires overnight. Yeah, and that brings a unique challenge, as well, right? Is mm-hmm. uh, it is is that, and then it's it is. I do. I don't understand. I do have some sim- sympathy for the people that are around because they don't they don't know too many millionaires. They don't know people who suddenly get famous. So it's a change for them. Yeah, as well. So there are certain situations, but there are also people. It's, it, mm-hmm. That's why I hate money so much is because mm-hmm. of what it does to people's mental Their mind. Yeah. It makes people make decisions and do things, even with people they care and they love, right. love that they wouldn't normally do. Exactly. It's not them, but the money is making them turn into that. And yeah. It's not even really them. Yeah. That shit. Like I said, I've seen it firsthand with people in my family. And uh, like you said, I hate, I hate money. <laughs> it's just... It, it ruins a lot of relationships and it's just like people, some people are just, they'll do anything for money. They'll cross any boundary. They'll go as far as fucking over a family member or loved one or anything just to make some money or get the upper hand with money. And it's sad, but yeah, like you said, it's some, some very, 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 very little for me. I have sympathy for people like that because, like you said, it's that change. Like, I know even me getting money, like, I didn't, I never knew how to handle me having money. Like, I blew through a lot of money when I got it because I didn't know how to handle it because I went from being broke to having money, like you said. So, there's a change for them too, being around somebody who has money, of course. But it's just, it's, it's deeper than money for me because this is like, if you really care about somebody, you would think internally or intentionally before just thinking impulsively, like I need some money or I need to be around this person because he got money or something like that. It's just like, you could think like, Oh, he got money. I want to kick it with him. Or maybe I could ask him for some or whatever, but it's just like, take a step back and think like what I'm going through or what all I have to do with my money and what I did to even get my money. It's just like, me, if I if I'm hanging around somebody that just made the draft, even if I never play football or nothing, I'm gonna be like, man, he worked hard for that. Like, I'm gonna think like, I didn't do anything for him to get that money. So why would I ask him for any of that or like 
try to be around him for that reason. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, that's why I have. I mean, people aren't all like me or us. Like they can't think like that. But it's just like if you really care some about somebody as much as people say they do or act like they do, you would think that way. Like you would just yeah. take a step back and think that way. And it's just like it's not that they don't care about me. It's just that they don't care about me as much as they think they do. Like I care about people more than I care about myself. People don't care about me more than they care about themselves. So that selfishness, that selfish part of them makes them like, Oh, I have some type of entitlement to be around or ask for money or I feel comfortable. Like I wouldn't even feel comfortable asking. That's, that's actually one of the most disappointing lessons you learn, especially Mm -hmm. in America and in a capitalist society, the people can't help themselves. Almost everybody is selfish. Being altruistic is not, rewarded yeah. <laughs> generally uh in mm-hmm. society and and it's a harsh reality um that yeah. we face you know but I, but you know this has been a good conversation a long conversation that i think touched on a lot of things you yeah. know um we we've been trying to get you out here for a while <laughs> you came out and you've done well you spoke yeah. i didn't have the full teeth to get you to talk <laughs> You talk quite a bit, but I think there's a second phase of this story that I think we should probably cover in a follow-up episode about what you're going through now, right? Yeah. Um, and everything that you're going through now with your <clears throat> your livelihood potentially being taken away due to something beyond your control, yeah. which is an injury, right? Mm-hmm. And coming back from that and, and, and working through that and the mental processing that goes through take your livelihood and your ability to do what you love and what you do to, to, to earn money, get take being taken away. I think that that that's good for an episode in itself. Yeah. Um, but I think we can, we can, we can wrap this one here. Talking about my- teaser, v. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> or shadow in next yeah. series. Uh, you sound like snowfall or something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm definitely down trip. to do that though, man. I appreciate y'all having me on. And, and honestly, it wasn't even hard for me to talk. I think it was just because I'm comfortable with y'all. And I know y'all, like, it was just a random dude. My first time, I probably wouldn't have been the same way. And, like, interviews and all that. You see me in interviews. Like, I don't really fuck with interviews and media. But <laughs> I'm comfortable with y'all, so it kind of helped me. And I appreciate y'all helping me because, like I said, I want to I wanna do this, too, at some point. But I definitely appreciate y'all helping me and letting me come on here and talk. Yeah, thank you for coming on, bro. And and I just want to say it's because we also hate the media. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I'll be seeing y'all shit. I know y'all fuck with the media. That's why we we on the same level of mindset. Yeah. Wise. <laughs> oh yeah, I got some uh some blasto gear too. I got the white hoodie and the black hoodie. Oh it's yeah, comfortable as hell. Yeah. Hell yeah, yeah. They're so nice, right? Man, and and that, you can wear the material is that I need that material. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Dude, I, I love the the cut on it too. It makes my shoulders look a little, you know, a little broad. <laughs> a little bit of a V. How do you like the socks, man? I, I love them shits, man. I wear them all the time. I was wearing them today with Shan. He was like, "Is those the last all socks?" I'm like, "Yeah." That dude, he he's like. You would think he's, he started the brand, man. That yeah. man, he yeah. loves he's the last socks, number one, number one he supporter. Did, he 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 loves it. Man. Yeah. He's a great yeah. dude. Well, we'll get you. We'll get you some more, man. Get yeah. you as you as you take your journey back. We'll we'll cover that in another episode, though. Thanks, man, for coming mm-hmm. on. Um, good conversation as always, and keep grinding, man.
Alle wollen sie gehen, 